Is there anything you would have done differently? We reported a true story. Our colleague Brian Williams is back in Kuwait City tonight after a close call on the skies over Iraq. Controversial Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh and questions about Kavanaugh's drinking in the past. Sean Hannity, come on up, Sean Hannity. Today, Andrew Cuomo is having a moment. Hi, I'm Chris Dyerwald, and there is no Eliana Johnson today. So welcome to Ink Stained Wretches, where, as you know, we break down what's going wrong and what's going right with the American news media. And happy Thanksgiving. I should not say there is no Eliana Johnson. There is just no Eliana Johnson right here in this introduction. I can do anything that I want. I am totally unbound, free to talk about anything that I want to talk about as we introduce this best of Ink Stained Wretches from the previous year. It's been a wonderful year. A lot of fun, and the wretch community continues to grow, and I really do enjoy interacting with you. I could take this time to denounce people putting fruit, nuts, or shellfish in stuffing. I could take this time to talk about how just pure D-wrong it is that the celebration of Christmas now even comes before Thanksgiving. I could engage in a lot of old man crankery because I want to tell you, I'm feeling it. I'm ready for it. Nothing brings it out in me like the autumn when it comes to being a cranky old man. But I'm not going to do those things. I'm not going to do those things. You know why? Because I am extraordinarily grateful. I really am extraordinarily grateful. I'm extraordinarily grateful to work with Eliana, not just on this podcast that we love, but also on the upcoming debate that you can watch on News Nation on December 6th. It's going to be great. She's going to do great, and I'm so pleased. But also, if you will allow me to be extraordinarily corny for a moment, the fact that I get to do the work that I love, the vocation in which I am engaged in a free country. The point of Thanksgiving, it is indeed a civic holiday, but it is a civic holiday with a spiritual underpinning. It is a, it's a moment to give thanks, but specifically to give thanks for the gifts that we receive for getting to live in the United States of America. And there are a lot of problems with journalism in the United States of America. Not going to lie, we chronicle them here weekly for you. But it is an extraordinary privilege to get to work in a place where not only are we free to say and do as we wish, but we are safe when we do it. It is a great thing and one of the great gifts of, of our founding and of our inheritance. So I am really thankful for that. I'm really thankful for you. Now, you are going to go on a whirlwind tour of the best of wretches from the previous year. Colin Chicola has crafted this with artisan hands. He has brought this together with the extraordinary care that only he can provide. Uh, you're going to get some light stuff, some cranberries. Uh, you're going to get some heavy stuff. You're going to get the turkey and gravy. You're going to get it all. And I think you're going to enjoy it. Certainly, I know we've enjoyed making it for you. So happy Thanksgiving, and we will talk to you soon. So the New York Times has elicited the wrath of a long list of people from Judd Apatow, 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 uh, he's rich, to Gabrielle Union, uh, to Glad, the gay lesbian. What does AA stand for? Alliance. Alliance. Nate Moore, he's got it. All right. Gay lesbian alliance against defamation. Okay. So I love the list of people, by the way, if I can just say the people who are celebrity listed as celebrities by the Hollywood Reporter, Hannah Gadsby, Joey Soloway, Margaret Cho, not funny, uh, 
Jamila Jamil, uh, Lena Dunham, wow, uh, Jonathan Van Ness, and Jazz Jennings. So it's a real a it's a real blockbuster a list uh, group there. So they penned a letter to the New York Times, um, assailing the New York Times for um, giving coverage for for its coverage of what they refer to as bias, fringe theories, and dangerous inaccuracies in. Um, in the Times' coverage of transgender. Well, I love this uh, line. The transgender I, movement. I love the line where they say. I, I know what you're talking about. It's, we could spend yeah. paragraphs listing every anti-LGBTQ and every anti-trans article the Times has printed in just the past year. We could. We could do it. But we would rather focus on action. The one that they do choose to talk about. There's two things that are au courant with this. Number one. They're hiring of my former colleague and still friend David French for the editorial page who holds a traditional view about gender uh, that he has has expressed in loving, Christian, thoughtful ways, but has a, tr a traditional view on gender. Uh, so he's a problem. But the one that they expressed the most, most outrage over was the misgendering, the obviously unintentional misgendering of a person at the club shooting in, it was Colorado, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and that the, the Times had misgendered this person and that consequently calls to the New York Times to get it corrected took a day. It took, can you imagine that it took a day to correct this and this is shocking? Well, if that's your best one, right? If you have a million people signing this letter and all of this outrage and your best one is it took too long to get a correction, uh, holy cannoli. I, I went to read the letter because I did want to see what pieces they point exactly. to. Exactly. I will say, the Times, after being at the forefront of what I would say was like t sort of trans rights reporting, I've perceived that they're trying to make a course yes. correction. So they ran a piece on the controversy around um, hormone therapy, hormone replacement therapy for kids, um, et cetera. So it does seem to me they're, they're trying to make a course correction and that that while they don't say it because they don't address the articles, that that is what these people are talking and, and, about or referring to. And 60 to. Minutes did too, and a lot of outlets. We have passed peak trans whatever it was. I wrote Maybe. about this for my dispatch column on Monday. Um, this is a very difficult issue, especially as it relates to kids. And to identify things that you disagree with as being hateful will not produce the outcomes that you seek. If... Uh, Judd Apatow and company believe that if they can silence the New York Times on this debate, not that the New York Times isn't radically progressive on these questions, um, but if they can silence the debate on this, that somehow the debate will not happen, they are wrong. The way that, and this is what I wrote about, the gay marriage fight, putting gay marriage at the center of the fight over the rights of gay and lesbian Americans was something that helped straight Americans, other Americans understand the plight, helped them move toward equality, raised popularity, created a lot of support because they were fundamentally saying something flattering, which is you have marriage, we want marriage too, right? And that was a departure for a gay rights movement that had, that had been pretty strident and, by the way, pretty sex forward uh, in its early days. It was a shift that was effective. 
And when you look at what's going on in the trans community right now and what this this kind of letter and this kind of activism says, you cannot shut down debate. You have to engage in debate and you have to persuade people to your point of view. And attacking The New York Times for not being doctrinaire on this demonstrates how the backlash is growing. Well, the thing I was struck by in going to read this letter was that they did not point to exactly. one inaccuracy in New York in the New York Times's well, the reporting of yeah. it, um, which was uncorrected. I mean, they did yes. not po- point to a piece of inaccurate reporting that stood the test of time at that paper. And I went seeking specific examples, uh, curious as to what they were, and they basically said, well, we could do it, but we won't. We could. Uh, if we instead, wanted to, you know, we demand a meeting and we demand this and we demand that. So it will be it will be interesting to see um, and we'll circle back on it if how the Times responds to this. Um, well, given- they better not respond by firing David French. Um, if they fire David French, uh, all of this goodwill that the Times has built up over the past several years by tr- basically okay, Chris. the Tom yeah. Cotton. Well, wait a minute. OK, the Tom Cotton letter controversy and the departure of Barry Weiss was a tipping point, along with the cashiering of the science reporter who foolishly did a hypothetical with the N-word, as I recall. I'm, I'm probably getting some Don, of this Donald wrong. McNeil. So this was the tipping point for the New York Times to course correct. And part of it has been, um, why do I always forget his name, whose work I love, the reporter who they have basically covering this beat, uh, Michael Powell. Michael Powell. Sorry, Michael Powell. Uh, but... It's because he shares the name with Colin Powell's son. I don't know. But the uh, Michael Powell's beat and more voices on the editorial page and the very coverage you describe on trans, these are all good things. So is hiring David French. Uh, but if this, they, they had better be willing to pay the cost uh, for making these nods toward a better and more robust discussion. You know, walk into the lion's den. Times has not exactly demonstrated a willingness to we'll pay such costs. So, uh, you know. And then we had to talk about the Harry and Meghan car, yep. alleged car chase. Two-hour car chase Alleged car chase through packed midtown Manhattan where it'd be kind of difficult to have a real car chase. It's uh... So the New York Times writes it up this way. Prince Harry, Meghan, the paparazzi, and a chaotic night in Manhattan. And then the, the sub-headline is... The initial description of the episode in Midtown Manhattan recalled the chase that killed Harry's mother, comma, but the fuller picture was more complicated. Well, remarkably, these people who only wish to be left alone. Yeah, exactly. Were at an event. This and this is very this this one made me laugh out loud. Uh, See if I can find it. Uh, The episode began Tuesday evening at the Zigfield Ballroom in Midtown, where Harry Meghan and her mother, Doria Raglan, we're attending the Women of Vision Awards, where Megan was among the honorees. First of all, real vi- she is a visionary. When when you think about the vision that she had, she saw Harry and married him. So it was real vision that she had for how to become <laughs> way more famous uh, than being on suits on basic cable. So it was a real. So she's a real a real visionary. So they're going out. They want that look. I'm sure being hounded is not fun. I'm sure it's bad. We don't know the details of the case. But it sounds like... The the taxi driver, the driver... Lay it called, on us. ...called BS on this. The be- he, had, he had the best he line. He said, give me a damn break. 
his name is Mr. Singh. So they, they and here we have our answer with Mr. Singh. Honorifics throughout. Mr. Singh said he would not describe what happened as a chase, though he was not in, uh, involved in much. Lo- he was not involved in the much longer drive earlier in the evening, though the family had clearly been frightened. Mr. Singh said he was not. I wasn't afraid. He said they <laughs> didn't grow up in New York. Uh, so anyway, Mr. Singh, uh, you are. A wretch, are, you are a wretch of the week. Yeah, that was good. That was really good. Oh, but this is even better. Where should you live if you want to have a tedious uh, sexual practice that you can annoy all of your friends about? It's the it's the veganism of uh, sexual practices. It's polyamory and the New York Times. <laughs> this is... I can't believe this is a headline in the New York Times. I can. This is the most predictable New York Times headline. Interested in polyamory? Check out these places. So uh, where should you, the New York Times, answering the question for your your life and style. The New York Times did an article on how having a lot of pubic hair is a new Whoa. trend. <laughs> they did. Whoa. Like, of course they're going to do this I'm article. I'm sorry. You, I, I trigger... <laughs> I'm triggered when you use the phrase. I don't want to create a permission structure for you to use the phrase pubic hair without a warning. Okay, that's (laughs) a new wretch policy. No. So I am not surprised by this article. So where should you live if you want to be polyamorous? Uh, Somerville, Massachusetts. uh, Sounds like a good place to do that. Uh, Where else could you be polyamorous? Any other anything else? I'm just going to guess Utah. Hey, hey, that's. Hey, why you got to bring up old stuff? Um, Somerville seems to be really polyamorous, uh, and uh, we we wish them the best in uh, annoying their neighbors talking about their polyamory, uh, and uh, best of luck, Somerville. When you said what's going wrong and what's going right in the Mm -hmm. mainstream media, I was going to say for once, I want to start with something that's going right. Get out of town. Which was... In the Hunter Biden coverage, there has not been very much good coverage of the Hunter Biden saga, scandal, et cetera, from the mainstream media. Uh, But I woke up this morning and saw this extremely interesting, good piece from NBC News. Who wrote it? Carol Lee and Monica Alba. The headline was Biden warns top aides against offering him political advice about Hunter, uh, which I thought was an excellent story because it was right at the intersection of all the Hunter Biden stuff and the White House. And this is a real political issue for the president. So he's telling his aides not to offer him political advice on a major political issue and what may be a huge political liability for him going into the election. Um, yes, you want to read the lead? President Joe Biden has made it clear to his closest aides in no uncertain terms that he not only will reject any political advice that he tried to limit his son Hunter's public visibility, but that he also doesn't want to hear such suggestions, according to three people familiar with the discussions. His message, as one of the sources described it, was hands off my family. Now, let me tell you something. Having Hunter Biden go to the state dinner with the Indian prime minister. I have seen... Along with the uncle, Jim Biden, and the attorney general, Merrick Garland, the day... I can't remember if it was one or two days after the plea deal was struck. Hunter Biden, I I am certainly willing to accept the possibility that Joe Biden is unable to deal with his son in a way... That would be to his own political advantage. I'm certainly that Joe Biden and the losses that he experienced as a father. And uh, I I certainly can understand that. But 
I just, I hate to put it in these terms, and I hope this doesn't end up a clip uh, on our social media, but I'm going to say it anyway, which is, who in the hell does Hunter Biden think he is? Like, who in the hell does this guy think that he is after grifting a living around the world, cashing in on his family's name, that this guy doesn't have any more decency and respect for his father than to exclude himself, right? Don't go. If you get invited, don't go. This Now is the time to go work as an oysterman or something, right? Now is the time to disappear from public life. And when the media finally finds you shucking oysters uh, off of Hog Island that you say, I don't want to talk about it. And that's it. Going to the thing and living out loud, it took him this long to finally enter a plea. Um, and but showing up in a tux to a state dinner—that's trash. That's a really—that's that's a really ungracious, ungrateful that, way to treat your family. That doesn't even make the top ten list of the number of tr- of the trash things Hunter Biden has done. I mean, we know well, exactly. I'm, well, there's, I know, there's, I know. The, there's know. the crack and prostitutes phase, but then we're and that that like barely cracks. I think all of the top ten, you know, are knocking up. A woman but calling I, her what's her name. But I'm but I'm saying, if there if the narrative is I was in active addiction, I ruined everything, I did all of this stuff, and then I got sober, and I've cleaned up my life. If everything that follows that, right, that's what I'm willing to judge him on now because he wanted. You know, I think it's fine when people when George Bush said, "Don't judge me on my life before I'm 40. Judge me after." Like I think you can give people the benefit of the doubt. Well, you give them the benefit of the doubt, and what's he do? Stages art shows so that uh, people trying to curry favor with his family can buy his uh, his art. Uh, shows up where he shouldn't be, sticking his face in cameras at times in shows of defiance uh, when he's engaged in scandal. This is really terribly unloving. And frankly, dispatriotic behavior by this guy. And I don't, uh, there's just, it, to me, inexcusable. Well, the dad is following in his poor, I mean, footsteps. It's sad. It's, it, I mean, y- you must find it sad. You must find Joe Biden, the story of Joe Biden and Hunter Biden, to be a, a deeply sad one about Joe Biden. I do think that he's a very sad yeah. guy overall, um, a sad person who, um, It's sad. I yeah. think his need to be in office is sad. All of it is sad. Yeah. Um, all right. That brings us to uh, Nick Kristoff's take oh. about the real meaning of the Hunter Biden saga, which he told us in a New York Times opinion column. So he says the real meaning of the Hunter Biden saga, as I see it, isn't about presidential corruption, but it is about how widespread addiction is and about how a determined parent with unconditional love can sometimes reel a child back. Well, if the NBC News story doesn't undermine that, yeah, I, I, I certainly there's a there's a story in there, um, and I understand this is an opinion piece that Nick Kristoff wrote, and this is as Nick Kristoff says as he sees it, and the important. And I do think that it's good that America is talking about addiction problems and people are coming to terms with this stuff more and more, but the political realities around this and the the damage that it's doing to the incumbent president is profound, uh, regardless of positive narratives about confronting addiction, for sure. So for all the reasons I liked the NBC News story, which was hard-headed coverage, um, our our friend Alex Thompson brings to our attention um, a separate instance of the press 
covering for Biden in these incredibly frustrating ways, which Biden made headlines. uh, I think it was on. Let's see. June. So yesterday morning, um, this was Tuesday, Wednesday Wednesday morning when he congratulated when he um, referred to Vladimir Putin uh, losing the war in Iraq. And Alex noted that um, the previous evening on Tuesday night, Biden had said the same thing at a fundraiser, um, but that it was not included in the press pool report and that the White House had then released a uh, a corrected transcript. But it is amazing to me that these things happen and that the press covering it doesn't co- doesn't actually cover it. Uh, so then it happened on camera and it did make headlines. Yeah. And, the you know, the thing is. Did you watch any of Biden's address on Bidenomics? Yes. So I I watched it and and did on-air analysis of it. And it was hard to do any on-air analysis of it because it was so, like, 30 minutes is too long for Joe Biden to be in public talking. He just can't. Like, I'm more than willing to believe the people I know who know Biden who say that in conversations and meetings he can be incisive and attentive and do that stuff. I'm more than I'm more than willing to believe that's true. I don't know if I go so far as remember the New York Times piece about Oh yeah. he can ride the train more for so long. More vigorous than ever. Yeah. This reminds me of when I was in high school um was the Bush v Gore election yes. um in 2000 and a big issue in that election of course gore had been clinton's vp right. um, but then he was running for president and it was all oh he doesn't have the charisma and the magnetism of, of bill Tones, clinton Naomi so Wolf. democrats and it was the same thing with hillary clinton they had to trot all these people out to say in private he's so magnetic he's if so only they wonderful could know the and it real was hillary. like I, yes i remember there were you know conservative columns at the time were like you know in the bathtub, he's hilarious. Exactly, exactly. Um, is... you, you should you should see him at a barbecue. Yeah. The guy is just all giggles. Do you remember the piece? So Biden, you know, he's got so much energy behind closed when doors. When it comes to riding trains, this guy is is killing it. <laughs> yeah. But but I am more than willing to believe that that the Biden that you see on stage is that that there is a better version of that. But thirty minutes is too long to have him out there. And this is the problem that you have covering Biden. The Evident infirmity is so clear that by the end of that speech, he's like all over the place. He's he's lost the thread. He's it's a factual jumble. And you want to talk, you know, you have a speech like that. You do things. You stop and talk to the press like he did here, trying to create a narrative. And there is the cooperative relationship between the president and the press to drive the story of the day. Why do people want to cover the White House? Because it gets you on the front page, right? Because the president can make news and people always, there's always a market for it. So when the president does things that are just politics, right? I'm going out, I'm doing a campaign stop, I'm saying stuff. What are you going to say, right? Because ultimately you have to, or at least I feel like I have to, talk about it as political performance. And as political performance, it's really bad, right? It's really bad. And his, when he gets things wrong and it's a, on the one hand, it's a boring story because it's it's baked in like, yeah, Joe Biden can't remember things and Joe Biden gets slippy. But on the other hand, uh, it's uh, it's it's uh, do you remember the name of uh, the Tracy Morgan, Tracy Jordan, uh, Oscar bait movie from 30 Rock? No, it's called Hard to Watch. <laughs> <laughs>
And I had an obvious one. And that was Amber Athey's piece in The Spectator. Headline, Politico's <laughs> banned words. And this is such a spectacular piece of reporting. Her piece is about Politico, but I do think it captures so much of what's been going on in mainstream media newsrooms um, since 2020 about. And she writes about how um, Politico's guidance to its reporters on covering trans issues. And I'm just going to read a little bit from the piece. Um, She says, I obtained a copy of an email from Politico editors summarizing highlights from the seminar. That seminar, by the way, was led by three trans activists. So these are the people giving guidance and this, to their and this, journalists. When did the, this happened when? I believe it's 2021. Okay. Yes. So is this before Axel Springer has come yes. to town? Okay. Yes. Um, so the it had three activists lead a seminar with their journalists on coverage of trans issues. Um, the panelists informed reporters that what they consider the, quote, neutral position on transgender issues was probably created by, quote, white cisgender men and thus cannot be trusted to be accurate. Gendered Seems words, reasonable. gendered words, they said, can be rooted in, quote, exclusion and can actually cause trauma for transgender and gender neutral individuals. Um, so the editors then send then um she, she then writes, a style guide sent to staff in January 2022 reads more like a game of Media Matters Mad Libs than a document for journalists. It suggested some non-inclusive words that Politico reporters should avoid using in their work. They include mankind, man-made, manhunt, crack the whip. Person hunt. Waiter Wait, or waitress. Crack the whip is crack, that? Yes, because of slavery. Uh, waiter or waitress. Biological gender, biological sex, biological woman, biological female, biological man, or biological male. Illegal immigrant or illegal alien. Cakewalk, because it originated during slavery and thus perpetrates racist motifs. Um, In reference to illegal immigration, the terms onslaught, tidal wave, flood, inundation, surge, invasion, army, march, sneak, or stealth. Anchor baby, chain migration. Were these adopted? Was this? Yes, this is their style guide. This is the. Oh, that was. So maybe it's no, no, different now. It, uh, it is. Okay. I, I have friends there. Okay. Chris, um, peanut gallery because they were the cheapest seats, often occupied by blacks and people with low incomes and third what world, third world countries. I'm sorry, peanut gallery. Yep. Because that's where the cheap seats were. That's the point about talking about the peanut gallery is that they're the cheap seats that they are they are they are the hecklers in the peanut gallery because they're in the cheap seats that's the point we can't even say that anybody's poor or that some seats are better than others can you believe it that is a so that is this a, is this is politics this is not journalism it's no cakewalk i'll tell you that much yeah and that was my obsession that over is, to you chris try to top that that one. is a steaming and pile congratulations of to amber right on an amazing piece that, okay speaking of rich people the Titanic sub. Titanic. It's a, it's a submersible. You can't say it's a submarine. I've been corrected already as uh, as the American news media learns to become submersible experts. We don't even have the most amazing part of this, which is the part that Cookie was telling me about before the show, which is the the rich guy who's on there, his son's tweets. Oh. His stepson's tweets. Oh, no. What is it? 
Now, as we record this, we should just say as we record this, the vessel has not been found and the clock has not run out on their air supply. So, Cookie, he said, can you get a mic? Yeah. Okay. Get on mic. We need Cookie yes. on mic. You got the, us the Grimace the meal. Son. Well, you didn't get the Grimace meal. In turn, Jay got it for us. So. Thank you. It was, it was yeah, a big team effort. Um, so the stepson said, please think of my family right now during this hard time. And then the next tweet was him at Blink-182 saying, they helped me get through stressful times like rock on. And then, he, and then he continued to tweet like, ladies, I'm single. Oh, no. <laughs> and it went on from there. And I think there's, he has a history of doing these sort of things on Twitter. Oh, no. Yes. Oh, that's so sad. Uh, a, troubled, a troubled youth. He's the Hunter Biden of... Yeah. Okay. So my, I love this Daily Beast story so much. The lost Titanic sub didn't even have a basic safety beacon. Subhead, untethered by regulations. The vehicle wasn't even equipped with some of the most essential tools. The, the, it's inexplicable design may end in tragedy. Hey, did you hear, Eliana? The government barely regulates steel tubes being dropped <laughs> to the bottom of international waters by lunatic billionaires. Did you know that there's, ba- I mean, what agencies are even involved? Who's the oversight? We need to get a hearing to figure out when we're going to start regulating this better. The other amazing part of this I saw wow. was that there was a CBS News reporter, and I forget who it was now, but who went on this thing. Yes, I saw that yes. guy. He, we had him on News Nation. He was okay. interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, when he did his report on CBS, he did not say, I was actually on this thing, and it was harrowing. He didn't uh, the, say? No, he didn't say. Uh, oh, he talked about it on his... CBS. Oh, my gosh. Well, it sounded totally crazy what he reported. Um, so that that was amusing, too. Um, I forget who the guy was. Okay, Ocean Gate. So here's the, the New Republic. Ocean Gate CEO missing in Titanic sub had history of donating to GOP candidates. Yeah, it, so that explains that is why the our, steel the the 2023 steel, story. That's right. That's why the steel tube dropping industry is so wildly unregulated, untethered by regulations. Uh, uh, Ocean Gate CEO Stockton Rush, who here's a list of who he's donated to. Okay, it must be pretty big. Now, a point of here's graph two. Now, a point of a caveat here. According to these public finance records, Rush was not a Republican mega donor, but his donations over the years leaned heavily toward Republican candidates. What a trash thing to write. Here's a guy who obviously is a weird person because he likes to be dropped in a steel tube to the bottom of the North Atlantic at a very risky thing to do. Interesting and all that stuff. Everyone knows, everyone knows uh, Dino J. Rossi. A Washington State, the you Washington know, I know, State. Uh, I know who that is. Republican. I've never heard of him. Yeah, D, uh, Dino Rossi got close. Dino Rossi got close on governor. It like went to a recount. He lost by like four hundred votes, and then ran again. Uh, and Dino Rossi was a great hope back when back in the Slade post Slade Gordon era, where Republicans still looked at Washington and Oregon as potential I statewide mean, office. So that, that's a, a long way of saying the guy is hardly hardly flying Supreme Court justices around on his private jet. That's right, exactly. He's never he has never taken a Supreme Court justice to the bottom of the North Atlantic in a tube. Woof. So there, when you when you say what's wrong with the media today, the answer is making 
a goofy story. And this is a perfect summer story for the news biz. This is a shark attack kind of story, which is it's riveting and it's interesting. Um, But and I know the stakes aren't low for the people involved. And I feel terrible for the families of these individuals. I really do. I sincerely do. But obviously they undertook a insanely reckless uh, thing to do and what they paid a quarter of a million dollars or whatever for the privilege to do it. So the stakes are high in a narrative story and it's interesting, but it's also a summertime kind. It's it's a it's a beach read of a news story. Up next, we got a Star Wealth special here. Well, not I. Not I yeah, said the yeah. fly. Uh, this story, which I believe originated in the Telegraph of London, uh, headline, meet the quote, and I love the scare quote on elite, uh, meet the elite couples breeding to save mankind. And uh, it has gotten a lot of play for some pretty obvious reasons. Most of all, the picture of the two children, the young people with an American flag who are have have met and they are going to have intercourse as much as it may pain them, as much as it may bother them. They are meeting other nerds and they are going to experience the physical act of Congress, coitus, in order to produce live offspring in order that their genetic material may be passed on and carried forward. So, uh, congratulations. Uh, I say congratulations to you people who are bravely agreeing to have sexual intercourse for the sake of humankind. Well, she does have to be pregnant, does she? Doesn't she? Well, can't they get? Can't they outsource that? Uh, yeah. In an Insider article last November that helped bring the movement to wider attention, 23andMe co-founder Linda Avey acknowledged its influence on the Texan tech scene. While the managing director of an exclusive retreat, Dialogue, founded by arch-conservative investor and PayPal pioneer Peter Thiel, said population decline was a frequent topic there, Babu, (laughs) who hopes to join or create a pro-natalist organization in the UK, says it is still niche here, but gaining ground on both the swashbuckling intellectual right and the niche, more family-focused, and blue labor-tinged segments of the left. At the center of it all are Simone and Malcolm Collins, two 30-something American entrepreneurs turned philosophers <laughs> and parents. If, you've, if you're a parent and you're still calling yourself a philosopher when you're in your 30s. How come none of the pictures have children in them? Well, the children, I assume they keep in a lab somewhere. Uh, here, here they do, down who below. Who say they're only the most outspoken proponents of a belief that many prefer to keep private in 2021. They founded a, quote, non-denominational campaign group called pronatalist.org under the umbrella of their nonprofit Pragmatist Foundation, buoyed by a $482,000 donation from Jan Tallinn, uh, an Estonian tech billionaire who funds many rationalist and EA organizations. You've lost me. It's They lost me uh, a long time ago. Try just letting... Try. You know what I would say? Put on a little Barry White. Put on some Lou Rawls. Put on some classic How do you know they don't soul. do that? Look at this picture. You think these people are listening to Lou Rawls and just letting letting life take its course? Nature okay. finds a way. Well, we should introduce these people to the the subjects of our next story. Oh wait, I have to ch- I have th- this one. So, and th- there's online dating services, by the way, where you can connect with other people who are willing to have intercourse in order to keep the species alive. And the premise is that 
I was only like a couple months away from that before I met my husband. You were not either. I I I might have been one of these people. No, no, no. You would have. You would. You. No way. No way. I was close. No way. You're not. You're. You're. You're (laughs) weird, but you're not that weird. No way. I'm not. I don't buy it. Oh, and then of course this leads us to from the left. Uh, Washington Post opinion piece, don't want a baby because of climate fears, you're not alone. That's what I was saying. The pronatalists should meet these people who are afraid of having babies because of climate change. Peggy O'Donnell Heffington, uh, writing in the Washington Post, uh, she is a professor of history at the University of Chicago and the author of Without Children, The Long History of Not Being a Mother. Um, it is uh, It is sad... To re- this was profoundly sad to read. This was a profoundly sad to read piece. Um, everybody ought to have as many children as they want or no children or whatever. But you um, think the prospect of climate change should not factor into their decision? But if you are thinking about climate change, if no, 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 I'll put it this way. If you're allowing climate change to make you feel guilty about having children, stop reading the Washington Post. If you are making an argument, if you need a rationalization for not having kids that includes climate change, just say you don't want kids. It's okay to not want kids. I think nobody ought to have kids who don't want to have kids. Uh, and this and this this kind of um, it, uh, so here's the piece. If politicians and policymakers want to encourage young people to become parents, and it seems they very much do, history suggests there's a better path the one too many of them are pursuing. Uh, Instead, they should convince us that climate change is being taken seriously as a threat, that the environment we and our children must live in is good, is in good, capable, rational hands. I love the idea that the professor, that Professor O'Donnell Heffington has, that somewhere somebody's like, given the climate change circumstances, I don't think we're going to have kids. (laughs) I would, I would do it, right? I think this is like maybe... Maybe hot girls are saying this to guys. They're like, oh, I would marry you. But what with climate change? I they- knew like a fair number of people in my very liberal high school in the Twin Cities who were, I would say, in the, who were like not having more than one kid because population and- Really? Cl- yes. That actually s- ex- explained that their decision to only have one child was in some way connected to their concerns about well, the climate and the planet. Of, yeah, one in particular. But yeah. Hey Amen. Look, somebody needs to call India and tell them if that if that's if that's what's going on. Whether or not elite, educated, wealthy Americans have one or two children, uh, that's that's not where it is. And by the way, uh, better that they be here in America, where we consume energy so responsibly. And safely uh, than in other places. I this I, I've got to say these two the the pronatalist weirdos on the right and the antinatalist weirdos on the left. Uh, I just want to tell you, Lou Rawls, put it on, hang out, see what happens. Okay, you'll never find another love like mine. But what if? What if? You're just feeling like tax season feels really feels longer. <laughs> what if you're one of these people? This is another another Washington Post climate desk beauty. Tax season is getting longer. Blame climate change. Oh, what? By paying more taxes or something? No, there was a couple of natural disasters, uh, and as a consequence, the IRS delayed 
uh, the filing deadline. Hurricane and tornado seasons are getting longer because of climate change. So is tax season, writes Jacob Borgage. Borgage. Uh, the IRS granted extension taxpayers in seven states to file their taxes this year because of federal disaster declarations. Uh, they have until July 31st, da, 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 certain areas. And I would say, who cares if these people get tax extensions? Why is that bad? Is that like, I? it's bad that their homes were destroyed. It's bad that that's true. But really, I mean, come on. I think you're you're pulling a little hard in the business section to get climate change. Maybe it's just they've, maybe getting climate change in headlines clicks better. Do you think that could be true? I mean, with the readers of these newspapers, I'm sure it's like, you know, top number yeah, yeah. one trending. So maybe it would be like if at Fox, you know? maybe at Fox News it was like, Hunter Biden's laptop shows why tax day is late. Like just randomly attaching things uh, to things. The Benghazi effect, if you will. All right, Chris, I am here to announce we have reached. We have reached rock bottom. I didn't think we'd get here. I didn't think we'd get here. But we have hit bottom of Supreme Court Clarence Thomas coverage. Thank you to The Guardian, but close second to The New York Times for bringing us to this moment. The New York Times, and I read every word of this. This must have been a 10,000-word piece um, by Abby Van Sickle and Steve Eder Eater, where Clarence Thomas entered an elite circle and opened a door to the court. This 10,000-word piece is about Clarence Thomas's membership in the dun-dun-dun-dun evil music Horatio Alger Society okay society that celebrates people who were born poor and became rich in the greatest country in the world Um, at Horatio Alger he moved into the inner circle a cluster of extraordinarily wealthy largely conservative members who lionized him and all that he had achieved while he has never held an official leadership position In some ways, he has become the association's leading light. He has granted it unusual access to the Supreme Court, where every year he presides over the group's signature event, a ceremony in the courtroom at which he places Horatio Alger medals around the necks of new lifetime members. One entrepreneur called it the closest thing to being knighted in the United States. I don't know. Do do you think he'll ever recover from this? Uh, The... Attacks on the Horatio Alger Society, and I have been to the Horatio Alger Society dinner. Uh, you may agree or disagree with their worldview or all that stuff, but they give scholarships to kids. They give amazing full ride, all expenses included scholarships to promising kids uh, who were disadvantaged. And it seems like a very good thing. And the part of the story that I found most frustrating was that it basically said this worldview is what's wrong with Clarence Thomas, right? That the the idea that you can pull yourself up by the bootstraps, that you could have a Horatio Alger story, uh, is why he doesn't support affirmative action. It's why he doesn't support government interventions because of this worldview. And I thought it was, you know, it was cheap and lazy. Well, I found that to be actually that part of it to be totally unsurprising and in keeping because that was the views that the dissenting justices in the affirmative action case argued that um, 
the view espoused by Clarence Thomas is essentially a racist view and offensive to them and so on. So that part wasn't as surprising to me. But the idea that this is a this is news and that this should be this is in some way damaging to him was um, was amusing to me, um, but not as amusing, actually, as the Guardian piece, which somebody sent to me, I believe, yesterday and that I thought was from the Babylon Bee because the headline in the Guardian piece was Lawyers with Supreme Court business paid Clarence Thomas aid via Venmo. Now, who are these lawyers? You who might are these lawyers? wonder. Several lawyers who have had business before the Supreme Court, including one who successfully argued to end race-conscious admissions at universities, paid money to a top aide to Justice Clarence Thomas, according to the aide's Venmo transactions. Whoa, that sounds bad. Sounds bad the to payments me. payments appear to have been made in connection to Thomas's 2019 Christmas party. Um, the payments were for $50, and they were from for- Thomas's former clerks for the clerk Christmas party. Um, the amount of the payments is not disclosed, but the purpose of each payment is listed as either Christmas party, Thomas Christmas party, CT Christmas party, or CT Xmas party, in an apparent reference to the justice justice's initials. However... It remains unclear what the funds were used for. I wonder what it could be. I wonder what, what it could, could be. it be. So the lawyer with business before the court uh, was, you know, he's a former Thomas clerk. Well, that's I mean, even worse. He's 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 a secret agent who f- has connections to Clarence Thomas. Do you, how deep does this go, Eliana? Now who's being naive? I would be embarrassed to be writing these stories. You are so obviously a pawn of a desperate political movement trying to of a movement trying to score political points. It's, it's embarrassing. It's also cashing in on it. It's, it's the, the feeding when the feeding frenzy so is playing itself out, which is you're like anything that you've got on this subject, we want whatever you've got. Well, I've got some Venmo payments. You're like, Oh, how much is it? It's $50 for a Christmas party. And I think I might've made up the $50 figure. I don't want to say something that's not true. So hold on. Let me just make sure. Um, Cause it, because they said it's unclear what the amounts were for. All right. I don't I made that up. Um, okay. okay. It could have been more than $50. All right. So th- there's something in the water around country music is racist. Country music is bad. But Luke Combs has a beautiful song. He did a beautiful thing, which is he covered Tracy Chapman's Fast Car, which is a great song. Have you heard his cover? Yes. It's can, really good. Colin, can we play a little clip of it right here? You got a fast car. Now I want to take it to anywhere. Maybe we make a deal. Maybe together we can get somewhere. So it's a beautiful song. It's a, when Tracy Chapman wrote it, I loved it when it came Same. out. Same. It was great. And L- she likes the cover. And she likes the cover. Well, maybe it's problematic, though. Maybe that's problematical. The Washington Post uh, offers some concerns about what's going on here. Uh, Emily Yar, uh, writing in the pop culture section, says to quite a few people, this is cause for yet another celebration in Combs's whirlwind journey as the genre's uh, reigning megastar with 16 consecutive number one hits. But it has also prompted a wave of complicated feelings among some listeners and in the Nashville music community. Although many are thrilled to see Fast Car back in the spotlight and a new generation discovering Chapman's work, it's clouded by the fact that as a black queer woman, Chapman 59 would, al- would have almost zero chance of that achievement herself in country music. 
The numbers are bleak. A recent study by data journalist Jan Deem and musicologist Jada Watson reported that fewer than half a percent of songs played on country radio in 2022 were of women in color and LGBTQ plus artists. On it goes. Are you, do you feel guilty for enjoying Luke Combs's fast car knowing that you're helping to marginalize Tracy Chapman, who never could have done this herself? I'm so happy it's uh, that Tracy Chapman was a hit. I'm so happy Luke Combs is reviving her. And I'm so happy. I, I was most happy that Tracy Chapman is happy about this. Yeah. And, and she's, she isn't like and, aggrieved. Yeah. And it's great for her song. And it's, it's great. It's a great song. And it do you know, such do you, a great song. Do you know what I did not see anywhere? in this article, and if I missed it, I apologize, was Little Nas X. I did not see one mention of Little Nas X, who had the- I have no idea who that is. You'd have never heard of Old Town Road? I don't believe you. I I don't believe you. I don't know anything about pop culture. No, this was a country song. He recorded it with Billy Ray Cyrus. We're gonna take my horse down the Old Town Road. Nothing. This is amazing. Amazing. I would I would say Colin's laughing so hard. I would say play a clip of it, but I don't want to put it in people's I, I, I don't want to put it in people's ears because you, it's such a catchy song. Little Nas X with Billy Ray Cyrus dominated the country music charts for like two years. Yeah, he was just he just crushed it forever. And he is not white. And I believe he is. Yeah, he is a part of the LGBT. Uh, apologies to Andrew Sullivan, uh, part of the LGBTQIA plus plus community. Uh, none of that was mentioned in there, and this just was another piece that was telling you not to enjoy what you like. You like swimming in the ocean? Well, it's probably bad. You like listening to Luke Combs sing "Fast Car"? Well, it's probably bad. Probably you're a bad person, and you should probably feel. But you want to feel good about having the air conditioning on at night and sleeping peacefully in the summer. Well, you should probably feel bad about that too. And this sort of killjoy, this sort of Elmer Gantryism, is uh, it's too much. In a polarized U.S., this is an associate, an actual headline that appeared from the Associated Press. On, I believe, the 4th of July, on Independence Day, in a polarized U.S., how to define a patriot increasingly depends on who's being asked. And look, I got I, I got it. You got to you need some content for the holiday. You're somewhere. And this this is written by. It took three people to write this article. Gary Fields, Marjorie Beck and Rebecca Boone published at. At, it was so it was preloaded. It, it published at 12.02 a.m. on July 4th. So this was loaded in like, what should we set ahead for the 4th of July? I know. How about one pooping on patriotism? What if we had a piece that that pooped on patriotism? That would be good. Today, the word and its variants have morphed beyond the original meaning. It has become infused in political rhetoric and school curriculums, curricula, with varying definitions while being appropriated by white nationalist groups. Trying to define what a patriot is depends on who is being asked. You know who else has appropriated the word patriot? Dirtbags throughout history. I believe I heard one time that patriotism is the last refuge of the scoundrel. I have heard that this word has been misused in the past, probably by more people than white nationalist groups. This preposterous article, to publish this on the 4th of July, and. It's the wire service. Yeah. Take the day off from this, the AP. The wire service. Take the day off on Independence Day. 
do a story. How about this? Instead of talking about how patriotism has been appropriated by white nationalists, which it has, but it's also been appropriated by a bunch of people and it's been used by good people, da, 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 da. And by the way, I don't want to, the article does not at, go into at the same length, and I may be mistaken, but I don't believe that it, it does. But on the same, so they have, I don't know, five, six, 10, 15 paragraph, 20 paragraphs in here about how right-wingers use patriotism as a cudgel. But you know what they don't talk about in this? How If you wanted to do, don't, first of all, don't do the story. <laughs> if you do the story, do a story. If you want to talk about this, talk about how people on the left abjure patriotism and how they poop on America with articles like this on the Independence Day. Talk about how the American left, I wrote about this in my dispatch column for the day before the Independence Day. The I understand why Americans on the left are offended by, remember the picture of Donald Trump hugging and kissing the flag? Remember that picture? No. Famous picture. He comes out on stage and he just, like, like, it, like he does with a woman, he just he grabs it. And it's gross. And that kind of Lee Greenwood, over-the-top, super-duper, screaming eagle, patriot, MAGA 10,000X patriotism, I understand why people on the left don't want to be associated with that. I got it. But there's another problem with patriotism associated press, which is that people on the left don't have enough, that there's an insufficient amount. This is, this, as you can tell, this article Publishing it when they did and how they did really cheesed me off. This was a, a big mistake. But you like Joy Reid's take. Well, let's let's hear. Can we can we hear? Is this is her show still called the Readout? Yes. Let's hear. Let's hear Joy Reid's take on Independence Day from the Readout. Sadly, there is nothing more quintessentially American than fireworks and gun violence. Um, I have to say, I did not go out on July 4th and would not. The idea of going to a mass gathering, a parade or a big fireworks thing outside seems insane to me, to be blunt, in America, because America is awash with guns, and now people don't just have them. They seem to want to shoot people with them and use them for whatever, you know? Do you dare venture outside on the 4th of July or in a nation awash with guns? Somehow she didn't put, she didn't pinpoint the part that seems insane to me. Which part is insane? Joy. Joy herself. Oh. <laughs> Would have, uh... <laughs> uh, yes. Do you think she means that? Do you think she thinks that? I don't, actually. I, I don't think she actually stayed inside on July 4th. Well, I... I, I mean... Do you? I, I, I assume she did not go to a... Oh, oh, I'm sure she didn't go to a July 4th Patriots gathering, but... Uh, Careful how you but use I don't that think word. she actually shut herself... Shut herself in her bedroom, like, you know, behind d deadbolts. I am profoundly saddened for her if that is sincere. We have a crime problem in the United States. We have a gun violence problem in the United States. That is undeniable. But you, if you are a person who has reached a point where you are not willing, that you would, you would go to a 4th of July parade. I would not go, well, small town. If it was a small enough town, I would go to a 4th of July parade. But I would not go to a big gathering for reasons unrelated to, to gun violence. But if you're a person who is would want to go express themselves and enjoy their country and their countrymen and countrywomen, that you would do that and say that you wouldn't because of gun violence, that seems preposterous to me. Right? This is the person who says she didn't hack her own website oh, yeah, right. and write, you know, gay bigotry on there. The other piece that struck me as 
bizarre and indefensible was the the main piece when you went to the Politico website on Monday morning was um, an interview with um, Bernie Sanders' foreign policy advisor who has been um, one of Hamas's chief apologists for the past 10 years. And the headline was, we've been shaken out of this fantasy, colon, how the left sees the war in Israel. Um, I thought it was incredibly strange to have this be your main news piece. There was absolutely no pushback on any um, on anything he said. And this was one exchange. Uh, Alex Burns interviewed Matt Duss, the um, the former Sanders foreign policy advisor. Burns says, you just mentioned the painful reality check on the way the foreign policy establishment tends to think about the Palestinian issue. Do you think there's a larger credibility issue at stake here for what's considered establishment foreign policy thinking? The notion that the last few years have been movement in the direction of stability and in terms of American interest progress in the neighborhood. And Dust responds, it has destroyed this whole premise that we can just bottle up the Palestinians and it won't matter. It has destroyed the premise once again, and it's not the first time that we've been shaken out of this fantasy that we can invest in repression. We can invest in relationships with governments that imprison their own people and deliver security and stability. It may work for a little while, but it will not work forever. And when it erupts, it's extremely dangerous and tragic. When I saw that quote in the headline, I assumed that the fantasy that they had been shaken out of was that Hamas could be a partner in peace. No. Oh, um, and this is what we've seen here. Wow. Um, and there's no there's no pushback at any point in the interview. And Woof. Um, I thought it was shameful and strange. That is la- that is super lame. Wow. Jeez, uh, Louise. Uh, the uh, the the what I have been meditating on in this stuff is. Stories like this that break through the normal barriers, and we saw the same thing with Ukraine. Stories that break through the normal um, barriers, the bubbles that people erect around themselves politically, often reveal how isolated people have become in their thinking, right? So for most Americans, they don't think about Israel and Palestine, and they don't think about that. uh, They don't think about Palestinians and Israelis on a day-to-day basis. For most of the 330 million-plus Americans, it's just not part of what they're thinking about, and it's not part of the news most days. Um, And then when something like this happens— the as folks who are normally consuming local news, let's talk about the viewers, uh, people who consume local news, maybe some news online aren't engaged that much in day to day political or national news. When something like this breaks through, their reaction is going to be obvious. Who are these insane people? Who are the, who are these devils? who are killing young people at a festival, who are kidnapping people's grandmothers, who are beheading children. Who are these people? This is, this is outrageous. But if you live in a bubble like those kids at Harvard um, who put out their statements uh, condemning Israel for being attacked, basically, um, if you live in the bubble that this person, what's his name, Matt Duss, uh, if you live in a, a news bubble where you're only getting reinforced and you don't know how other people think, you are not going to be able to see the forest for the trees. You're not. So you that's I'm always making the case for diversifying your news inputs and hearing other voices and expanding your horizons. Here's a great example of how stupid it can make you uh, if you're not if you don't broaden your horizons. 
Thank you, New York Times. A field guide to the great hot dogs of America. I love hot dogs. Oh, hey, here oh we are. Gosh. Look at us in accord. Love it. I didn't think we. I, I didn't think this is not, where we'd bag land. Of beef is not for me, but um, but a bag of hot dogs would be for me. From New York's all beef classic to Alaska's reindeer-driven rendition, here are 15 supremely local versions that flaunt the bounty to be found on a bun. I La- love hot dogs. Last and this week, first one looks so good. Last week, we talked about the Washington Post's. Uh, poorly pizza. executed effort. These all look so amazing. On pizza. Oh my gosh. This well, Puerto everything Rican that, one that has... Everything... What do you call these? French fries? No, these are um, potatoes... Like, oh, the potato sticks? They like sti- the canned... Potato sticks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, the planter's potato that's sticks. That's genius. Okay, but everything that the Washington Post did wrong, the New York Times did right. Including... Pictures, including great There's a picture for everything. Great art, and so the, the their their dog are they got the New York dog, uh, all beef, sauerkraut, brown mustard. They put relish on it, which There's is not one of these that I wouldn't. Which eat. is gross. The Texas Tommy. Oh, what I love relish, not with kraut. Oh, but I would have both. Gross. Oh, I love uh, the Texas Tommy from the Delaware Valley bacon and cheese. Fine. We got no, I've had it, oh, no I beef. Love it. Then my favorite, the slaw dog, the West Virginia hot dog, which they say is from the South, which is wrong. It's from Appalachia, but we understand. But they correctly rooted in West Virginia uh, and they even get it right uh, about its sauce, not chili. It's excellent. Uh, try the King Tut drive in or. If you're if you get the chance, Jim's drive in outside of Lewisburg, West Virginia, the Puerto Rican style dog, uh, no topping spared. Uh, and it's got what is. Yeah. The crunchy potato stick. The Sonor- That one I'm most excited about. The Sonoran dog from Tucson. It's good. I've had it. I've I think I've not me. I think I've uh, uh, I, I've have I had all of these. Uh, a ripper from North Jersey. Yes. The deep fried hot dog. Not my favorite. Have you had the reindeer dog in Alaska? Never had a reindeer dog. Didn't think so. Okay, but have you ever had a New York system wiener? The Rhode Island. Mm-mm. Uh, yeah, the New York system wiener is a real, like, be ready. Like, they're tasty. Chris's stomach just scrawled, by the way. Yeah, I am hungry. It's true. <laughs> uh, but be ready. If you're going to have a New York system wiener. It's... Have you had this cheese coney? Um, well, hold on. Don't skip ahead of the Chicago sorry, dog. Sorry. Overrated Chicago, much like the Cubs. An o- the Chicago dog Ooh. gets way too much, way too much attention. It's fine, but it's too complicated. Half smoke from D.C. Not my favorite. Do you like a half smoke? Uh, I haven't had that. Basically, it's a kind of a Polish sausage with a bean chili on top. It's just. I'm not really um, actually a fan of chili on dogs. Uh, the cheese coney from Cincinnati. Yes. I'm a yes. I'm a, mm. uh, you, you've had Skyline Chili. Yeah, but okay. I, I don't like Skyline Chili. I mean, look, I'll eat, when I say I don't like, I mean, it wouldn't be my order if I went to the restaurant, but there are very few things that I wouldn't eat. So Kenji, look, I, I have had a Seattle dog with the cream cheese on it and found it no. not, not, not that great. One I, I but mean, Kenji Lopez-Alt mm-hmm. recently has piqued my interest in trying it again because he described the way that it could be done, that it was really good. So I'm like opening myself to it. Uh, The Coney, uh, which is different than the New York, uh, which is another thing popularized. A lot of this, I swear I'll shut up, but a lot of this comes from the prevalence of Greek immigrants in the United States uh, a century or so ago 
that coincided with the explosion of the hot dog with the 1904 World's Fair in St. Louis, the popularity of the hot dog, and then regional specialties in places like Detroit, in Appalachia, uh, around the country, in Cincinnati. Uh, and the Coney dog from Michigan is a very specific kind of thing. I've not, oh, other than the reindeer dog, I've also not had the bologna dog of the Jewish delis of Baltimore. Uh, I'm here for it because it looks like it's griddled, which I'm all for. There you have it. That's the best of the best. I don't know if stories about Meghan Markle can really be included in the best of anything, but there it was. You heard it. You lived it. Congratulations. And thanks to Colin for putting it together. And so that is all the time we have for the news about the news this week. If you have a story you want us to talk about, email us at wretches at nebulouspodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter at nebulouspodcast.com. This has been Ink Stained Wretches from Nebulous Media, produced by the Colin Chicola. Find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Wretches. In three, two, one. Hi, I'm Chris Steyerwald, and there is no Eliana Johnson today. So welcome to Ink Stained Wretches, where, as you know, we break down what's going wrong and what's going right with the American news media. And happy Thanksgiving. I should not say there is no Eliana Johnson. There is just no Eliana Johnson right here in this introduction. I can do anything that I want. I am totally unbound, free to talk about anything that I want to talk about uh, as we introduce this best of Ink Stained Wretches from the previous year. It's been a wonderful year, uh, a lot of fun, and the wretch community continues to grow, uh, and I really do enjoy interacting with you. I could take this time uh, to denounce people putting fruit, nuts, or shellfish in stuffing. I could take this time to talk about uh, how just pure D wrong it is uh, that the celebration of Christmas now even comes before Thanksgiving. I could engage in a lot of old man crankery because I want to tell you, I'm feeling it. I'm ready for it. Nothing, nothing brings it out in me like the autumn uh, when it comes to being a cranky old man. But I'm not going to do those things. I'm not going to do those things. You know why? Because I am extraordinarily grateful. I really am extraordinarily grateful. I'm extraordinary, extraordinarily grateful to work with Eliana, not just on this podcast that we love, but also on the upcoming debate uh, that you can watch on News Nation uh, on December 6th. Uh, it's going to be great. She's going to do great, and I'm so pleased. Uh, but also, if you will allow me to be extraordinarily corny for a moment, the fact that I get to do the work that I love, the vocation in which I am engaged, in a free country. The point of Thanksgiving, it is indeed a civic holiday, but it is a civic holiday with a spiritual underpinning. Uh, it is a, it's a moment to give thanks, but 
specifically to give thanks for the the gifts that we receive for getting to live in the United States of America. And there are a lot of problems with journalism in the United States of America. Not going to lie, we chronicle them here weekly for you. But it is an extraordinary privilege to get to work in a place where not only are we free to say and do as we wish, but we are safe when we do it. Uh, it is a great thing and one of the great gifts of uh, of our founding and of our inheritance. So I am really thankful for that. I'm really thankful for you. Now, you are going to go on a whirlwind tour of the best of wretches from the previous year. Colin Chicola has crafted this uh, with, with artisan hands. He has brought this together with the extraordinary care that only he can provide. Uh, you're going to get some light stuff, some cranberries. Uh, you're going to get some heavy stuff. You're going to get the turkey and gravy. You're going to get it all. Uh, and I think you're going to enjoy it. Uh, certainly, I know we've enjoyed making it for you. So happy Thanksgiving, and we will talk to you soon. Okay. And now. Okay. All right. In three, two, one. Well, there you have it. That's the best of the best. I don't know if stories about Meghan Markle can really be included in the best of anything, but there it was. You heard it. Uh, you lived it. Uh, congratulations and thanks to Colin for putting it together. Uh, and so that is all the time we have for the news about the news this week. If you have a story you want us to talk about, do email us at wretches at nebulouspodcast.com and make sure you signed up. <clears throat> and that's the news about the news. If you have a story you want to talk about, And that's the news about the news. If you have a story you want us to talk about, email us at wretches at nebulouspodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter at nebulouspodcast.com. This has been Ink Stained Wretches from Nebulous Media, produced by the Colin Chicola. Find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Wretches. After a fashion. Okay. Uh, have a have a super duper Thanksgiving. Yes. And um, have you are you all set for Tuscaloosa?